Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 323. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, we follow up the eighth anniversary with one of my favorite things to talk about. That's right, professional wrestling. It is WrestleMania week. WrestleMania comes up two nights this weekend. It's usually one of the things I'm looking forward to most. And while I'd say that's true somewhat of this year that I'm looking forward to the event, it's not the same as it has been in years past. One of the reasons for that, I have AEW in my life. Still love WWE, will always have a soft spot for it, but AEW is scratching the itch I have as a wrestling fan a little bit more effectively than WWE is at the moment. Now, I bring that up because it's a subject of conversation with my guest this week. On the show, I have Sean Reuter. He is a manager at Cageside Seats. Cageside Seats is one of my favorite stops on the internet. Literally, a daily stop. I go there at least once a day. I start my day with the rumor roundup. Then I check back throughout the day, and I usually find something interesting to write. Sean is the author of many of those pieces. I have been reading Cageside Seats for years. The weird thing about doing this show is, a lot of times, great episodes are just staring me in the face, and they don't occur to me to do until well after the fact. That's the case here. I read Cageside Seats every day. Why didn't I try and reach out to them sooner? Well, you know what? The universe is funny. Serendipitous timing matters. And hey, it's WrestleMania week. I got to talk to a wrestling writer and one of my favorites. So that's what we do. We talk about how he got into this gig. The fact that he actually makes a living doing this. One of the few wrestling bloggers out there to actually make a living and get health insurance doing it. How did he pull that off? We talk about it. We talk about WWE's shifting focus in terms of who they're targeting as a fan. Is it 40-year-old me who's been watching wrestling since I was five years old, or is it someone else? Spoiler alert, it's someone else, but we talk about why that is. We talk about AEW. We talk about some of his favorite matches, some of his favorite angles, favorite posts from Cage Side Seats. I have my own personal favorite. You can find it linked on the companion blog piece. That's at johnofalltrades.us. And we talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is avoiding burnout. Because when you do something that you love, when your fandom becomes your job, how do you not resent it? Because it can happen. And I can tell you, when I'm turning on wrestling, that's my time to just enjoy myself. I don't have to do anything else. I just get to sit there, absorb it, enjoy it, let it wash over me. I think critically about it because I do that for fun, but I'm not on deadline. I'm not writing posts. I'm not worried about internet traffic. I'm just enjoying it. Now, if I turn that into a job, then that's something else entirely. So we spend some time talking about that as well. Sean is, and this is what I always hope when I meet someone who's writing or whose work I really like. This happened with Drew McGarry. This happened with Tom Bryan, Kyle Clark, Scott Keith, all of these folks that I've followed for so long. You hope that they're going to be cool in the same way that you enjoy their writing. When it turns out to be true, you go, excellent. That's exactly what I hope for. Sean and I had a really easy rapport. This was a lot of fun. Now, a quick note. Thank you for everyone who wished me well on my eighth anniversary. That was a lot of fun to do. We did two parts. I had a mailbag that I did partially on the pod and then partially on the blog. You can still find those. Those are near the top of the page. That's johnofalltrades.us. Secondly, the masks came off in schools around here, which generally I am supportive of. But to the surprise of no one, all the kids got sick. Not with COVID, but with everything else. So my voice has been shot. This was the first thing I could reasonably do with some level of professionalism without sounding like 
I don't know, some unholy love child of B. Arthur and Harvey Firestein. And now I'm about to go on vacation. So there's going to be no episode next week, but I'll be back very, very soon. So keep up with me on social media. It's J-O-A-T pod across platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. And I'll keep you posted on the goings on. Now then, it's WrestleMania week. One of the best weeks of the year for wrestling fans and probably one of the most stressful ones for wrestling writers. Let's talk about it. Sean Reuter, a manager at CagesideSeats.com, is the guest on episode, 320, on episode 323 of the John of All Trades podcast, and it starts right now. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a problem with this year's card. There's some stuff that I'm interested in. There's some filler that I feel is probably better suited to a, you know, a B-level pay-per-view or even an episode of Raw, but... I mean, the spectacle of it is always fun. It's just tough when you cover it for a living. Yeah. That's a big part of the challenge of it is to not get too jaded or just burnt out on. I mean, there's so much wrestling, just WWE, but then you throw in the other stuff. It's kind of hard to to keep yourself, keep the passion you have as a fan when it's your job all of a sudden. I, but I, I'm relatively pumped for this year. I, I cannot imagine what that's like with the volume of wrestling coverage that you guys do and how much is on at all times between WWE, Impact, AEW, New Japan. And then there's other ones that like bubble up to the surface from time to time. There's like yep. MLW. And I, I mean, how do you sort of keep your passion uh, covering this and, without getting jaded? Because that's one of the things I like about this, and we'll get into that in a minute. But how do you keep from getting jaded? I mean, I think... As a site in general, and definitely me personally, I just try to I try to not dwell on the stuff that annoys me or that is not entertaining to me. I mean, that's one that's somebody's favorite, so you'll get some internet points for dunking on it. But somebody likes that. Somebody loves the Alexa Bliss possessed talking to a doll angle. I don't know. Um, and it's just yeah. So just to keep, I mean, the internet is a negative enough place <laughs> as it is. So. I just, I try not to contribute to that. And that helps. I mean, if I sit there, I, I might get better traffic on a post where I rant about how stupid this angle is, but to me, it's not worth it in the long run. And I feel like there is enough of an audience for people who want to like talk about the stuff they like or critically evaluate the stuff that they yeah. don't rather than just slamming it. And I think that makes a difference. I, I think that's huge. So this is Sean Reuter and he is a manager at cage side seats, which is one of my favorite spots on the internet. And literally one of my first daily stops, literally one of the first things I do each morning is read the rumor roundup. There you go. And uh, I I've, adored this site for a really long time and one of the reasons is it's because you guys have managed to cultivate a voice that leaves out a lot of the snark that i had when i was writing about pro wrestling two decades ago <laughs> on the internet and you know I, I used to dunk on jeff hardy a lot because he started wearing all that weird paint and he turned that into his whole thing um but you dunk on jeff hardy you get a lot of angry teenage girls emailing you ab yeah. about making fun of jeff hardy but you guys Talk about this stuff critically, but fairly, and, and you're not snarky about it. So take me through a little bit of the history of Cage Side Seats. How long have you been around? When did you come on? And, and talk me through the evolution a little bit. That's a, I think we've been around for, I would want to say roughly 10 years. We are, um, and by the time I came on, they were already owned by SB Nation and Vox Media. Um, there was some time before then that I probably couldn't speak to, but right. so that's, it is a, that's one of the benefits that we have is we are sort of a corporate site. So we okay. do have some people who actually make real money and get health insurance. And I'm one of them, which is a blessing in the internet game. Oh, um, dude, that'll help you stay less snarky too. You go, 
wow, I actually have a real job doing this. Amazing. Exactly, right? Yeah. Right. Who else is going to pay me to do this and give my wife health insurance? Nobody. So I better <laughs> suck it up and enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, so my partner in crime, uh, Gino Morosco, uh, he took over the site from David Bixenspan, who is uh, online wrestling Twitter. He's, a, I mean, a great reporter, but he's definitely got a voice on Twitter that is a little bit more contrarian, let's say. Yes. Um, I don't want to say snarky, but yeah, he's definitely he's got his gimmick. Well, just to use a wrestling term. <laughs> no, that's perfect, too. And I, I remember reading his freelance stuff that he was doing for Deadspin. And yeah. uh, it was it was after um, Shoemaker left Deadspin and went over mm-hmm. to the ringer. And I remember thinking, yep. I'm like, OK, this is good, but has an edge that I'm not really looking for. Right. So um, he's somebody. Yeah, I, I I still I follow him on Twitter. I'm friendly with him professionally. Um, I enjoy his stuff, but I do. That's he's one. I sort of. Yeah, there's a time when I have to step away from when he's doggedly pursuing something right. that just doesn't really make a huge difference to me as a fan. Um, I'm glad somebody's out there doing that work. But anyway, so he was uh, Gino took it over from him. Uh, Gino had been working on some of the combat sites on the SB Nation. Um, that's where we fall under the corporate umbrella. They, lump, they don't know what to do with us, so they lump us <laughs> in with UFC and boxing. Um, well, as a fan and, of both uh, those things, it sort of makes sense to me, too. Because, I mean, yeah. I, I grew up combat sports, like pro wrestling, boxing. I mean, it, yeah. I, so I don't know when you grew up, but I grew up in the 80s. So that was like a great, yeah, so great time for Mike Tyson. And then the middleweights, too. I was like just at the tail end of like... Hagler and Hearns and yeah. uh, De La Hoya and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and guys like that. So, yeah, I'm really, I mean, I, I'm really excited that boxing is sort of coming back, even though it's coming back in a pro wrestling way in a lot of ways <laughs> with the, with the Paul brothers and things. Because uh, yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, I remember I had one of my biggest sports memories is when Buster Douglas knocked out Tyson. We like oh, drove yeah. around the town I grew up in, like and people were screaming in the streets. Boxing was still a big deal for a little while, but. Sure. Um, so yeah, so uh, so Gino brought me on. I started off. We have a thing on Cage Side called Fan Posts, where just anybody can contribute. That's an SB Nation thing. The the corporate um, brand is that it's like by fans for fans. So anybody can jump on there and write an op ed. I mean, some of them we get varying quality of, of things, but I think that also speaks to sort of the community voice that you like about it is that we try to let everybody chime in as long as it's not offensive or anything. Well, well, Sean, uh, so that was how I got my start. Th- oh, go ahead. No, let me just say that's how I got my start. Uh, are you familiar with Scott Keith? Who? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott's blog, blog of doom. doom. That's right. Yep. Back when he was doing Ransylvania, he had what was called the rant crew. And I just, I, okay. it was like the very first thing I ever published on the internet. And so Scott had this site where fans could do anything. And then this webmaster for this other site found me there and I was off to the races. I've been blogging ever since I was 2000. So like that to me is so cool that that still exists on something that's like not Facebook too. Yeah. I, I want, I was just going to ask you, I mean, I started wondering, it's something that I wonder is I wonder how much it still exists at this point. Cause I got in, this was, I mean, later than that, but it was like 2010, 2011. It was still CM Punk hadn't left WWE for the first time. The first thing I wrote was a post about when Punk was beefing with Chris Brown on Twitter. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I think it was like 2011 or so. Um, and I don't like, we haven't, been able to hire anybody that way. I mean, we've got some people who will do some like contract stuff. You know, we'll we'll be able to pay them a little bit to do a few posts a week. But I don't. I hope somebody can still get in full time the way you know we sort of did. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
but that's, but anyway, that's so kind of how you started. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's so that's how I got into this. Yeah, I was doing other, you know, nine to five stuff and uh, started doing this on, you know, Gino liked the quality of my work. He gave me a few, a little bit more stuff. He realized I could deliver on deadline. I got some more stuff and it slowly, he slowly got me more money and I slowly weaned myself off other work. And then, like I said, I think it was two years ago that I got hired full time by Vox and this is now my primary gig. Dude, that's awesome. What were you doing beforehand? Like, were you in journalism, like at all, or anything in this? Vein? I was. I was in marketing. Um, so there's some writing and branding, and so that's still sort of my, um, my. I guess my what I bring to the table is that I can look at. You know, I do pay a little bit more attention to the numbers than maybe some of the other folks on staff do, and look for trends and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's. I, you know, sales is everything, and every everywhere you go, so. It's always served me well. I, I I did marketing in about 700 different industries from like corporate tech to like nonprofits. So this is just another way I'm <laughs> applying that is the way I look at it, honestly. Yeah, uh, 100%. And so it's always so cool to me when someone turns a side hustle into their primary gig. And I mean, yeah. in, in a lot of uh, that's what I've done with podcasting. So this show is still like kind of my lost leader. Um, I use it as almost a proof of concept where it's like I can create <laughs> high quality content and I was doing this entirely on the side. And then eventually you do something well enough and long enough and someone will go, hey, you know what? I'll bet I could pay them to do that for me. And so that's how I ended up producing other shows. And so like that's to your point. And it's not everyone who can turn their side hustle into something that actually pays them and becomes their primary vocation and something that they love, too. So the fact that you right. did that is just so cool, man. Yeah, it's really I mean, I, like I said, I, I hope that it is true for people, but that's still possible. And I guess it is in other fields for sure. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's cliche, but you know, somebody's going to get that job. So, you know, if you, if you, if you want it, put in the time and, and hone your craft, as they say, and you know, it should, I, 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 like I said, I just, I hope that that happens more often than not, that the hard work pays off and you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So take me through now that you are a manager here at cage side seats. Um, I, I was looking at you today. You had God. You do something like six posts a day. Um, I yeah. it's a lot, and and it's like high quality content too. Um, take me through sort of an average day for you. What does that look like? I, it probably varies depending on if it's Monday or Wednesday or a day when the shows are happening. Right. But, but can you give me what your structure is like a little bit? Sure. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying it's high quality work because sometimes it's sometimes I I. I question that. Um, I mean, it, well, one thing is I'm my own, we're, we are our own editors, so there's, okay. it's not as clean as I would like it to be. Sometimes, sometimes you have time to read it through and you still miss stuff. Sometimes you're, it's a busy day and like this week's going to be insane for us. Oh, it's going to um, be brutal. So, but from a reader yeah. standpoint, it's going to, it's like the best week of the year for me as someone who, who loves reading stuff like this on the internet. And, and there's, and to your point, there, Gino and I talk about this all the time. Is it better to have like weeks like these or the days like these where it's nonstop and you don't have to worry about what the next thing is? Or is it harder when it's a Sunday and nothing's going on and you have to come up with from out of nowhere, <laughs> how do you make something entertaining out of this one tweet or whatever? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I cover, I typically cover the days. So I'm usually on from about eight in the morning to about five at night Eastern. Um, 
I mean, it's a work from home gig, so that's another way that it's it's pretty cushy. Because if I do have to schedule time to run somebody somewhere during the day, I usually can do that. So wait, where, I, that's where, not where, to say, where are you in the country? I am in Baltimore. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. So I'm not tied to the computer for eight hours every day. There are times if I'm covering a show, then we're on. But uh, other times we have a little bit of a, some luxury, some some wiggle room there. But um, but yeah, it's it's. I honestly, I get paid to surf the internet looking for, you know, things that, because we are not, I mean, that's one thing. We are not a news site where we don't claim to be journalists, journalists, we're bloggers, you know, the, you know, that gig. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're looking for stuff that we can comment on that we can put our spin on, give you, deliver some news to you, but not claim to be breaking it um, and put our spin on it, you know, try to make it, make sure we try to make sure everything we do has, has a take you know, of some degree, you know, ha- is entertaining in some way and then also provides that information. So it's, you know, it, it, it is. I'm, my wife always says, I can't tell when you're working and when you're just <laughs> partner around on the, online because they look exactly the same. <laughs> if my hands aren't going fast on the keyboard, I could be like reading some article about a sports team in my life or I could be researching my next post. Yeah. Um, so we try to get something up usually about once an hour, but that can be more if it's a busy day. It can be less if it's just dead slow, but that's the goal. And uh, so, yeah, so it's it's content creation. We do have a staff of contractors. So there's some managing of them, you know, making sure answering any questions they have about what they're focused on, making sure they're available to cover the stuff that they're available to cover. We get, it is a, it is a corporate job. So we have staff meetings too. We have to work those in. Uh, we have sponsor deals. Uh, DraftKings is a big SB Nation sponsor. Uh, we have an affiliate deal with Peacock, WWE Networks Home. So we work with them on trying to, uh, that's a that's a balance of, you know, advertising versus editorial. But I, th- I think we strike it pretty well, but that's another component of the job. So it's hard to say, like, this is what I do hour to hour, minute to minute. But, yeah, I mean, that's generally it. So, I mean, some of it, I, I know you'll pull things from all sorts of sources, whether they're Dave Meltzer or, you know, WWE's mm-hmm. constantly planning stories in places like Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Or uh, sometimes it's even like wrestler Twitter or wrestler Instagram. Um, I mean, how many different wrestlers are you following on social media? Ugh, I don't know. I would guess it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 100 Okay, um, only a hundred. That's that's a smaller I don't, number I, than I, I honestly. I, I've honestly never counted it, John. So I don't know. It's <laughs> it kind of and it it ebbs and flows because I'll you know I'll follow somebody uh, when they're you know if they're getting hot, um, and then I'll realize they never tweet or something. So then maybe one time they will tweet. They'll like retweet somebody, and I'll say oh, I haven't done anything on that person for a while. Unfollow them or something. But yeah, I don't have a set number. A lot of I do follow. I mean, wrestling Twitter is an interesting place. Twitter is Twitter is an interesting place, but. <laughs> Um, there are, you know, there are power users of Twitter, of which I'm not one. I'm very much a lurker type. But if you follow a few of the right people, they're going to drop the, the trending stuff into your timeline. So I, I think that's that's where I don't spend a lot of time cultivate, cultivating who I'm following. Okay. Because I've got some good folks that make sure that I get the stuff that people are talking about showing up in my feed. Right. They're your entry points. And, and right, and, so, and then I can then I can go down the rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah, as, as needed. I get you. Um, what, yeah. One I follow on Instagram. She never posts anything about wrestling, but it's just her basically wearing bathing suits in exotic locations all across the world. Is Tennille Dashwood? So, okay, yeah. Um, 
And so I started following her um, because her character in NXT was one that I really grabbed onto when they sent her back I, down. Yep. Um, the the hot ass evil Emma character uh, when yep. she was paired up with Dana Brooke. Oh my god, um, what a great character! And so when she left, I go, man, what? And and then they tried to do the whole Emmalina thing, and I go, what? what like yeah. why? Um, but I started following her, and now I follow her for an entirely different reason. It's weird how the internet works that way. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Um, to me, so we're coming up on WrestleMania, which normally is like my favorite time of year, but my okay. fa- my fandom has migrated a little bit more towards AEW because AEW is creating a product that I really, really enjoy. It seems geared towards me as a wrestling fan, whereas right. WWE doesn't seem to want the 40-year-old guy who has been following wrestling since my the first event I ever remember watching was WrestleMania 2. Mm-hmm. And I was a young kid. My dad had taped it off of Showtime, and I really got into it. The first guy I really grabbed onto, there were two of them. One was Ricky Steamboat because he jumped off the top rope. The, yep. the other one was Bret Hart because he wore sunglasses and looked cool. And so, like, and so I was born to be like just sort of this, you know, goofy smart mark with, when those are my two yep. first favorite guys. Um, but WWE doesn't seem necessarily geared toward me anymore. Um, yeah. I'm interested in you covering this as much as you do. How much truth is there in my perception of that? I think there's a good deal of truth to that. I think my take on it is, is that WWE thinks that you and I and the adult male wrestling fan is probably going to be there regardless. Oh, sure. We'll oh, complain like, yeah, a lot. We've already got it. Yeah. But they're not, yeah, they've already got us there. And I think that's, that was the thing that AEW seemed like it might really disrupt. But I think what, what we've seen, I think what the ratings have shown and what we've seen in our traffic is that most of that core wrestling audience now pays attention to both. They didn't necessarily, even if there's sort of like a hate watching component to our WWE fandom, it's still there. There's still something about that spectacle and there's still enough people there that we enjoy that we don't want to just walk away from the Kevin Owens's and the Sami Zayn's and, you know, maybe someday they'll yeah. do something cool with Shinsuke Nakamura again. And yeah, Bailey is actually a great wrestler. So, I, and then she's fun as a heel. I didn't realize right. she could do that. I'm going to keep paying attention. So I do, th- I th- but I think, you know, to your question, do, are they doing anything to cater to us? N- very little. Um, I don't, think it's quite as antagonistic as some people do that, that they really just don't care about us but sure. i don't think we're a priority um they are chasing their uh you know their mcu dreams or whatever nick khan's trying <laughs> to do with the really i you know yeah I, I one of the interesting questions about wwe these days is are they like actively looking to sell at some point which that seems to be the speculation yeah yeah uh, and there's a lot of moves that would sort of back that up, but they also seem to be just good. But it, either way, whether that's the goal or not, their focus is this, you know, we want to be everything to everybody appeal, which I don't think. And yeah, I, I think they think that, the, that we're there. So they're going to focus on their spread attack is going to go, you know, trying to appeal to some other people. Whereas AEW is their business plan is to cater to us. Yeah. And and I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I don't think the AEW product is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No, neither but do in I. general, it was, but I, I mean, that, the thing we talk about in the, in the case side office, which is a Slack channel, um, is just, you know, the AEW, we don't feel disrespected by AEW where there's, you know, there's routinely stuff. WWE, 
WWE will do, they just feels like they're sort of thumbing their nose at us a little bit. Well, and not not only thumbing their nose at us, but some of it seems like just deliberately careless in terms of story construction and things like that, where it it would be very, very easy to tie some of these things up and, and bring a narrative to a satisfying close just from a purely almost like Joseph Campbell storytelling kind of uh, point of view that, that they just don't do for reasons that are unclear to me. And that, that that's frustrating. Whereas AEW seems to understand I mean, you mentioned the MCU and, you know, doing that type of storytelling. When you look at AEW, you, the, the viewer is rewarded for paying close attention in a lot of yes. ways. And, and that, to me, is what built the success of the MCU. Yeah, I, and yeah, it makes – AEW does a good job of making everything feel like it matters. There's, you know – Up and down the A car, causes yeah. B, causes C, yeah, and – and acknowledging, I mean, to the real MCU point, acknowledging the other stuff that goes on in the wrestling world, not pretending they're this, there is its own silo where they, you know, rename somebody that you know from somewhere else, <laughs> some name that they own, and right. pretend they've never been anywhere else. Um, yeah, I, I think in some ways, I guess Vince and WWE maybe were a little bit ahead of the curve because I feel like their storytelling, storytelling focus, I don't even know if storytelling is the right word there, but they're big on the moments. Right. Right. They... And they, so they, they want something that's going to go viral. They want a quick video. They want, you know, oh my God, Logan Paul did this or Johnny Knoxville did that. Um, That's their focus as opposed to a coherent long form, you know, payoff. Um, And I I don't even know if they, how much they care about payoffs because traditional wrestling stories where the good guy would eventually win. They haven't been doing that lately. They're big champions or heels. Um, yeah, I mean, when when does this Roman Reigns reign of terror end? Um, I, maybe at WrestleMania, I don't know, but it's been going for so long. Now, and I, I will say that has been the best story in WWE for a long Agreed. time now. Like that, the the way that they have evolved Roman finally has been very very fun and rewarding to follow along with. But that's a great example, right? I mean, guys like us, fans like us, wanted the Roman turn five years ago, right? And. <laughs> And they gave it to us, but we had to wait for it, and it came when we weren't expecting it. Yeah, um, yeah I, when does that – probably longer than you and I want it to be. I mean, the rumor now is that The Rock will be back for next year's WrestleMania to face him, so maybe he'll drop it for a little bit in there, but I also kind of feel like they want him breaking some longevity records. So this we right. could be in for a multi-year title run. Wow. I, and, I mean, back in the day, that seemed unfathomable when the belt used to be a real hot potato for a long time, too. You yeah. Know? Everyone kind of got their 15 minutes with it. Everyone from The Miz yep. to Jack Swagger to Sheamus to Mark Henry to, you know, whoever. Like, everyone right. seemed to just take their turn with it. Whereas now, I mean, good God. I remember when New Day, when they decided they were going to break Demolition's record. Right. Um, and you go, man, like New Day has been champion for a long time. And there's as as an old time wrestling fan who grew up in the era of Hulkamania and watching Flair hold the yeah. title for a long time. You know, there's something of a soap and water feeling to that. That's not nothing. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it elevates the belt in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. It would be nice if WWE's other belts felt more important. I think that was something about that era. Yeah, like Maybe Hogan was the WWE champ for 20 years, but the Inter- Intercontinental title, there were good stories behind it. It felt like yeah. it meant something to win that, and you don't really have that in modern WWE. Those are 
I mean, they're all really props, but those <laughs> secondary titles are super props. I mean, it's just they're they're worth whatever you could buy them for on WWEshop.com. Well, no joke, but I mean, you know, let's say uh, you know you take the principle of Chekhov's gun. Um, mm-hmm. If you, if you make that a squirt gun then it kind of loses its power, right? <laughs> right. As, yeah. a, as a storytelling device. Yep. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, thinking about moments, I was watching Rampage on Friday, and what they're doing with Hook is really, really something. And, I mean, Hook even just no-selling Danhausen's curse, I, th- yeah. I thought was just a brilliant, subtle little thing that adds to both Hook's character and gives Danhausen something amusing to do. And so, right. I mean, you talk about moments. The moments don't have to be huge. And I know WWE is is chasing the the 3,000-pound marlin or whatever it is and not trying to get 14 trout, to use the, the tortured metaphor from the, that Facebook movie. But all those little moments add up to something that is just much more enjoyable as a viewer. And you're right. I, I suppose we're aiming at different things at this point. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, my argument for WWE, if I would never take a job there. It sounds like one of the most nightmarish places to work on Earth. But <laughs> It does, uh, yes. If I was in there, I mean, I would argue that you could do both, right? I mean, like, to your yes. point, I mean, you could do, you could tell a long-form story that delivered those moments. There's no reason they're, they're not mutually exclusive. But I think probably because of that, you know, that's one thing that the, the dirt sheets and everything agrees on is that that's a a nightmarish place to work where directives change moment to moment and scripts are ripped up to two hours before you go on air. And that's not the way you can create. That's not the way you can do both those things. No, Um, that's, that's, that's a, that's a really fair point. Um, I want to go back to, I I told you sort of my entry point to this was WrestleMania two. And my dad was an old AWA fan because he grew up in Chicago, then moved to Denver. And so, I mean, those are both AWA territories. So yep. um, don't get my dad to start talking about Nick Bockwinkle. It'll, you'll never hear the end of it. But um, so I grew up liking AWA. It was right around the time WWF was making its national expansion, taking over cable, things like that. Mm-hmm. What are your origins as a fan here, Sean? I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I am a WWF territory guy from, from way back. But I, you know, hearing you talk about WrestleMania 2, one of my big early memories is uh, WrestleMania 1 in the Pittsburgh area. The, uh, we weren't going to pay for it. My dad wouldn't have gone for that. But the, the, uh, the pay-per-view stream, whatever they call it, the, the direct feed or whatever, broke down in the city somehow. Okay. So they actually put it on free TV this next week. Wow. So I got to see, I, so that, I remember watching that in my parents' bedroom on like a little black and white TV. Um, prior to that, my great grandmother is really, she's my wrestling, she's my hookup. Your great grandmother? Um, my great grandmother, she was an Im- Italian immigrant, spoke broken English, but she was a Bruno San Martino person. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it was, and that was real. Like she, everything was okay, but when Bruno was on, it was real. It's like she would throw stuff at the television, kind of a thing. Um, and so me and a bunch of my cousins would watch, you know, a main, I think it was WWF main event. I don't quote me on that, but it was late seventies, early eighties syndicated WWF show. Right. Showed the things that had happened in like Madison garden two months earlier. That was, that was really where I saw somebody else be passionate about it. You kind of got into it. And then, and then, you know, I think like a lot of fans, I ebbed in and out of it over the years. And at some point, 
I came back into it around the, I think I came actually back into it around the tail end of the Attitude Era and discovered the dirt sheets and got into a little bit more of discovered that meta aspect of it of you know playing work and shoot and what goes into what these guys go you know beyond the mat watching that those kind of things so that sort of kicked it into a second gear that led me to ever wanting to talk about it online write about it online yeah um the attitude era was when i realized i didn't have to be a closeted wrestling fan anymore which was great because I, I was always worried about getting made fun of and you know you always right. got this the same thing growing up it's like don't you know that stuff is fake it's like yeah yeah, do you know Robert Downey Jr. isn't actually Iron Man? Okay, yes. <laughs> like we're we're on the same page here. Okay, we're we're suspending our disbelief for the sake of entertainment. We're just doing it in different right. ways. Um, but the Attitude Era was great because all of a sudden everyone was watching it, and you know people were quoting Stone Cold and crotch chopping in my high school, and you know all the teachers yep. loved that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that came about right about the same time as the internet, and. You know, I got into guys like Scott Keith and CRZ uh, and Rick Skaya, and so I I desperately wanted to start writing, and so got into it. Um, I st- I left right toward the end of college, so uh, it was right around Katie Vick. Uh, okay. Yep. Was was a point where I go, I can't do this anymore. Like this is this is just not for That's, me. Yeah, they'll do those things. Like, there's a lot of times where I'll argue with people that wrestling is an art form and all this stuff and then something like that and then and it's always that's when my wife walked in the room right is when they just drop poop on the miz or whatever and i'm yeah. like you remember all that stuff i said forget that yeah but, yeah they're they're dropping uh dog food all over roman reigns right um yeah god but katie vick and then the thing that did me in for good for a long time was actually the benoit thing yeah. Where I go, oh man. And I like at that point I go, I can't give this company any more money. And yeah. you know, I mean, time heals all wounds and it what brought me back was Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. I, what can I say? Yeah. I, you you can't write pro wrestling online fan cliche more than you probably can for someone like me. Right. That's and I'm I'm very much in the same boat. I I, I hung in there for, you know, just I, my, my personal life kind of went through a lull in the late aughts. And so that's something that wrestling has always been for me. It's on free TV. It's like a, you know, it's a, it's a warm blanket that I can snuggle up in kind of thing. So I was sticking with it, but then I probably would have gone through another lull out of it if it wasn't for the Punk and Bryan stuff. Right. And um, that, that early, that early 2010s run where it felt like WWE might actually change. And it turns out it didn't, but right. for a while there that we had hope. Yeah, um, really sucked me back in in a way that I hadn't been in a while. Well, the the thing that kept me going, and I mean, we talk about eras, right? So there was the Ooh. rock and wrestling era, which I grew up loving. Uh, I yeah. loved the Attitude Era. I wasn't much in the new generation. That really wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. But what, probably my favorite era of all time was the black and gold NXT. Yes. Uh, and I got right into it with, uh, it was the fatal four-way match, and so it was Neville, Tyson Kidd, Sami Zayn, and Tyler Breeze. Yeah, and I, I started watching that, and I go, "What is this now?" And I loved it because it wasn't such a time commitment. It was right. it, it was an hour a week. It was tight, and it was exactly what I wanted, like as a wrestling fan. And I missed it so much. And then when they went to USA and it went to two hours, I go, "Oh shit, they killed it. This is dead now." Yeah, um, and. Sure enough, it wasn't long after that it was dead, but um, it sounds like that was an era for you, too. 
That was NXT. That black and gold era of NXT has a very special place to my heart because that was my first beat. Oh, nice. Good side. for you. So, um, yeah, that was. A, so I, I ended up the, the first stuff that Gino gave me was like sort of what was kind of the dregs of WWE at that time. I was doing like um, like main events and superstars <laughs> and NXT was kind of in that. I started on it when it was in that weird. You know, it had, it had been like that long-running YouTube version. It was like a hybrid of the talent search reality, faux reality show, but started to have storylines. And then it went on to the network, you know, and, and really became its own thing. And, and that, I, yeah, I, I love all the, everybody who was involved in that. That's, yeah, that's my, that's my glory days that, that, and I, I feel like, I mean, that's, there are a few times where I feel like I've had my voice on the site. And the site's voice in general or the internet, you know, not just us, but, you know, bloggers on the internet have had an influence on the business. And I feel like that was one of them. Like the the way that, that, that the people who are writing about it latched onto that show and then got other people to follow along was, was sort of a movement that, like you said, I, I don't think that's the last time I kind of remember WWE listening to fans like us that, about what we like. Well, and I remember getting just super excited about it, too, every time that it compelled me. I flew to two different cities to go see a takeover. Um, I saw one of the war games, the one that was in L.A. um, And so that was my favorite live match ever. It was uh, Velveteen Dream versus Tommaso Ciampa. And and the, the crowd... Everyone, everyone's face was melting off because we sort of like everyone can kind of see where the story's going, and it didn't seem like Champa was going to lose, but those two sucked us in, man, and the crowd lost yeah. its mind when Dream hit that near fall. Um, so it was it was a thing uh, that that is forever indelible on me, and I, I couldn't believe they followed Johnny Gargano versus Aleister Black too because that was a banger of a match too. Yeah, um, that was also the event where Matt Riddle knocked out Cassius Ono in like five seconds. Right. Which <laughs> kicked off the night in just such a fun way. Um, the other one I went to was in Chicago, and I finally got to see a show live in Chicago. And so it was an NXT show in Chicago. That's like a bucket list thing for a fan, man, because Chicago is always such a great crowd. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that War Games was when uh, Dakota Kai turned uh, heel and just okay, yeah. destroyed Tegan Knox's knee. Yep. Which... Man, everyone was pissed. And then she hit Regal, and the cr- you thought the building was going to burn down. It was phenomenal. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as a fan, man, that's what you're looking for. That's what you want. You, it's, it's like a rock yeah. concert. And you feed off each other. I think that's – I mean, that was the fun of that era of NXT. And, I mean, WWE – main roster WWE can do that occasionally. But, I mean, that's – I just enjoy – one of the reasons I enjoy watching, like, a Dynamite more than anything else is just – I mean, the crowd is – it's a participant sport. I mean, it's an interactive sport and it's more fun when people are really into it. And whether or not you're, that can get me excited about something that I'm not that into. Like if I'm on the fence about an act and people are going crazy, like I'm not entirely sold on Jurassic Express, but I, you know, if I'm in the crowd when they're doing the singing his theme song, I'm swept away. It doesn't matter. I'm on board. Yeah. Singing the Tarzan boy thing. I mean, it's, it's a lot like in black and gold NXT, you know, you look at Enzo and big Cass. And after that run, I go, okay, I'm not as into this act as I was. But in that moment, man, up and yep. down the card, it was everyone from the vaude villains to, you know, Enzo and Cass to every woman that came up through. I mean, everyone yep. had something to do up and down the card. And I think I heard Tyler Breeze on a podcast one time saying, 
it reminded him of the Attitude Era where even someone like The Godfather, who was clearly like an opening match kind of act, was still get like had something to do and the audience Absolutely. was invested. Yep. And I think then that's what AEW does better than WWE right now is that I can tell you more about somebody who shows up on Dark three times a month <laughs> than I can tell you about like three guys in the Intercontinental title scene on WWE on Raw. Right. Or whatever brand it's on. It's on SmackDown now. Whatever, whatever brand the IC. I can't even remember. I have to look to see, and it's my job. I have to look it up to see which one has the United <laughs> States title and which one has the Intercontinental title. That's how little I care about either one of them. Well, the the only reason I remember that is because Ricochet happens to hold it right now. Oh, that's right. So it's SmackDown. Yeah, so it is SmackDown, and I'm going. Wow, they actually gave Ricochet a turn with the belt, and I go, is that good for Ricochet or is that bad for the IC title? <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> I, I'm not. It's one half dozen or another. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but you know, hopefully they uh, that marriage of of the Intercontinental Title and Ricochet. Hopefully it yields good things. I'm not terribly optimistic based on the recent track record. Let's put it that mm, way. No. Um, but so, yeah. So okay. It puts Ricochet on television a little bit more often, I guess. Right? It's, he's less likely to completely disappear for months at a time if he got a title. Right. I suppose. Well, and having that, I mean, you think back to something like Talking Smack when the Miz wasn't on the card and you know he's like i'm the intercontinental champion and cut that amazing promo yeah i would say that was an inflection point on his career yeah so i think that's i would agree i think that's where a lot of people who just previously just hated him started to appreciate yeah the the, the quality of his work yeah it, it, that and uh just a remarkable promo out of the miz too and he I yeah. think he... and, that, and that show was phenomenal. Talking Smack was a great. It really filled a gap in WWE programming it, where it gave these guys a chance and women a chance to fill in the gaps in their storyline and show that they could do things like that. That they could deliver that kind of promo that we hadn't. When whereas previously we'd only see him be sort of a goof on TV, <laughs> right? Um, and Miz as a babyface is just pure hot death. Just yeah, that's not a good idea. It's ever. not. It's not a character for me. People who are just no. No, that's, there's certain people that just have their lane. I mean, and when you're that good at it, I mean, that's a WWE thing too. I mean, like we were talking about Roman. When yeah. somebody's clearly gifted in getting a reaction one way, they can get stubborn. And by they, I guess I mean Vince. Right. They can get stubborn about, no, this is the way I want it to be. So I'm going to keep trying to cram this, you know, square peg into the round hole. And we get two years of like painful television just because he wouldn't go with, you know, go with the crowd, even though they will tell you that they listen to the fans. Yeah, you've you've got uh, Vince essentially being White Goodman from Dodgeball, saying "Cram it up your cram hole, Lafleur." <laughs> so, um, exactly. So it's so funny because I started to really burn out on wrestling when I was writing about it, and when I emailed you initially to invite you to do this, you said this is not the usual thing you find in your public facing inbox, right? Which is true. Um, when I'm going to watch wrestling, particularly if I'm watching Dynamite or Rampage or whatever it is, I'm doing it for fun and escape to get away from my normal day. For you, presumably, I mean, now this is your job. How do you prevent burnout and how do you not get resentful toward that which you were ostensibly a fan? Um, yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit before. I think it's it's trying to focus on the stuff that I like as opposed to the stuff that I don't. Um, and, you know, some of that is... You know, every something is everybody's favorite, and I try not to just contribute more negativity to the to the internet. Uh, and and some of it is just selfish because if I do, even if it's a great, you know, funny piece that'll do a lot of traffic or something, it just that's quick. That's a quicker route to burn out for me. The other thing is, you know, is 
I, you know, we've seen a reminder of it lately with how Big E handled his, uh, his broken neck. But I yeah. think it's, I mean, it's a gratitude thing, right? I mean, I have to be, I have to be thankful that I am lucky enough to do this gig and that I, you know, I do get paid well enough to, to cover something I like. I spent enough years doing things that were just for a paycheck mm. that I'm able to, to focus a little bit better on, on the, the fortune that I found myself in in this situation so i that's it even but even so i mean there are weeks where it's kind of a, a drag um <laughs> it's like anything it, else either yeah exactly either because the shows stink or just because the internet's a particularly horrible place to be that <laughs> week or something um right like we were talking earlier today like the, the takes on what happened at the oscars last night maybe they have a bit of a slug slog <laughs> to get through twitter and everything but you know I, again but i just try to tell myself you know it's better than i'm not you know, selling insurance nine to five or anything anymore. So that's a good point. You know, that and, helps. And, um, I do think, I mean, we often say like, if this job went away from me tomorrow, would I watch wrestling next week? I, I can't swear to you that I would. <laughs> I think I would at least take a little time off from it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, trying to focus on the positive and trying to remember that it could be worse are, are the two secrets to avoiding burnout for me. Well, I, I'll tell you, last night watching that, I, we talked about this before we got on mic, Will Smith walked up and just slapped Chris Rock across the face. And my immediate reaction was, oh, this is scripted. Like, first of all, yep. like, I got a PR brain to where, and I hate fake viral moments more than anything. Right. But as as things unfolded, I go, okay, no, that actually happened. That was real. But it's so weird I think so much of my sensibility is influenced by pro wrestling to where, where I'm watching a show, my spidey sense starts tingling for heel turns. Yeah. Um, like in shows. And I go, I think that person's going to turn heel. And I'm thinking that in that parlance too. Yep. And, and I'm going, wow, is that good or bad? And I, I refuse to assign value to it. It's just the way I view the world. I think more and more, and you know, and maybe this is just my skewed perspective as well. But I think more and more that's that has I don't want has infected the real world. I suppose is one way to look at it. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I, politics has certainly got a lot of pro wrestling trappings to it nowadays. I think a lot of I mean, I and I yeah. I everywhere I look, I see it. I see the trappings of it, or a little bit. And you can't, I you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. But I think it's there, and I think it's. You know, it's it's a testament to how long pro wrestling has been around. It's a testament to how well Vince has integrated it into mainstream life. That a lot of people think that way, and I think some things are things are sort of, and I'm going to say it, are booked that way, which is another <laughs> you know wrestling terminology. But I I do the same thing. I mean, and I you know last night I think that was my first thought was like, how do I turn this into a post for Cage site? And sure enough, the wrestling takes flew across my Twitter timeline, oh, yeah. so that part was easy. But I mean, part of that was, was people playing work or shoot with it, like immediately, which is something, you know, wrestling fans are born in that. We were ready for that moment. Well, dude, um, and, and that's the best thing about pro wrestling is the best pro wrestling moments, you don't know what's real and what's fake, which is, right. why, which is why CM Punk and MJF going back and forth, you go, ooh, there's some like realness, like in, yeah, absolutely. like there, there's shades of it in everything. And so you're always questioning what's real and what's not it becomes a fun game as a viewer. So yeah, to your point. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't, I don't think it ever really caught on. I think I mean, we talked, we mentioned David Schumacher earlier. He tried to like coin the post pipe bomb era. He was really working to get the reality era over as, as what we were going to call that. Oh, oh he was trying so hard. On. Yeah. 
it didn't quite catch on for a variety of reasons. But I mean, I think that I don't think there was ever an era of that. But I think that type of storytelling is what's most exciting for, I guess, adult fans for sure. But I, I think there's even something about that appeals to kids where you just, you know, that that's what this does. That's really interesting. It's like is when it blurs those lines yeah. so well. And that, I mean, it's so weird that, I mean, we're talking about people who are playing characters with their real name that, you know, and, but there is some line between this, you know, Ronda Rousey, the person and Ronda Rousey, the character, she's a bad example, but, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a bizarre, there's, there's nothing like it, but then it, everything is like it. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's endlessly fascinating. And it's, it's such a fun prism through which to view the world. Um, and I, I will say also, you mentioned your great grandmother. If you watch old footage of any old wrestling show, it could be AWA, WWF, NWA, yep. whatever, the old women are the ones who are there the hardest. Like they are the That's hardest the- core fans and are so pissed at the heels. Like you, you watch old NWA with old ladies screaming at the Midnight Express. Yep. And you're going, I am terrified of that woman they they get yep. into it man and i i feel i wish we could capture that demographic again because in some ways the shows might even be better <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i mean that, it's funny yeah i mean that we're one we're one cliche of the wrestling fan and my, my great-grandmother <laughs> was another she was she wasn't that woman I, I forget what wrestlemania it was but there's a there's the there's video of that one woman that gets in piper's face while he's making his entrance and he kind of mugs <laughs> to her too yeah yeah i don't no, there's a few of those people still around, but there's not there's not as many of them. It's too bad. It is too bad. Uh, I mean, it it's a little demographically samey at this point, but you know, yeah. what are you gonna do? Um, okay, so I know we got to wrap up here shortly. So I got to ask you some uh, some basic questions here, and sure, I apologize for them being prosaic. Could you give me a couple of favorite matches? Um, I, you don't need to pick one, and if you say Molina versus Alicia Fox, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, you don't want to practice your stone cold reaction shot. I mean, you kind of got the look today. You get the hat on. The, oh yeah, you know. perfect. <laughs> uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I know um, I am a big. You know, I'm not going to remember which mania it is. It's. Uh, I'll, it was, I'll help it, you if you give me. All right, there you go. It's. Um, is it twenty? It, it was uh, Guerrero and Angle. I think it's on the same card where Benoit wins in the main event. Oh yeah, that's it's the one where Eddie. Eddie un- unties his boot to slip free of the ankle lock yeah, and then yeah. rolls him up. I've always loved that one. That's um, 20, yeah. I'm a big fan of, it's probably a cliche answer, but I mean, the, the Sasha Bailey match at the first takeover Brooklyn is is pretty special for a bunch of reasons. See, I, I have. Uh, I, just thought, I thought it was a fantastic match that paid off a lot of storytelling, and I think it's very historically important. I think that's the match where a lot of people yeah. who switched off from the bathroom break Braun panties match era and went, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe they can do something here. See, I, I have sort of uh, an unpopular take in that. I love that match. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's great, but my personal preference, I actually like the iron woman match a little bit better. Um, I would, I, I don't have any problem with that. It's yeah. The, the takeover Brooklyn match gets, is first in my brain because of that historical significance element. But I do, th- I mean, there, that entire storyline, that entire yeah. feud is phenomenal. I, and um, my, my, one of my favorite heel moments of all time happens in that iron woman match. And it's when Sasha steals that little girl's Bailey headband and then like gets in the ring and just mocks her. And I go, wow, Sasha Banks yep. is mocking a little girl here. That is some good, good healing. And I love that. 
Yeah, that was yeah. That's that, that and that's the kind of I mean that's where you get. I guess the, I guess kids are the new grandmothers because occasionally you can still get the kids. You get the angry Ms. Girl and Ms. you get girl, that, yeah. that girl. And um, so yeah, that, those are the two uh, two recent ones off the top of my head. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I loved everything about the Hangman Page Ascension storyline in AEW. I don't yeah. know that the matches weren't the highlight of that to me as much as the storyline was, but I agree. Um, I, I think that that story was fantastic. I was a big fan of the the Bucks Lucha Bros match yeah that was a good all out that was a pretty phenomenal one um I, I'm yeah gonna, those are off the top of my head i'm gonna throw one at you uh it's from one of the nxt takeover chicago's it's when uh pete dunn captures the nxt uk championship from uh, tyler Bate. tyler Bate, that's a phenomenal match. Uh, i yeah. i can re-watch that match and just lose myself in it and i i could watch those guys beat each other up you know every every week for a year i probably yeah um yeah, that there was when there was a Walter Tyler Bate. Tyler Bates a sneaky good. I wish they need to. I know he's. I guess he's a little undersized for the current WWE model, dude. But he's but built never, like he's a he's yoked yeah. though. I don't get it. And he's got yeah, and he's got a cool character. And he, I've never seen him put on a bad match. No. Um, yeah, I think it was his Walter match at one of the maybe it was one of the UK takeovers. That was, was a good one. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, another ta- another NXT match, uh, the Gargano Andrade match. Oh I sure. Which takeover was that? was a banger what was it the one um was it the first one that they did because they did a few of them didn't they i think it was the i think it was the first one but yeah i mean that really that that run of johnny gargano's in there uh, he didn't have a bad match with anybody but you mentioned the black match that you had of the oscar black match i mean there was the the cole and gargano feuds get all the press but i the, the little the uh, little programs he did in between those where well, like champa was hurt or you know before he started the cold match yeah the cold feud uh, um he delivered some fantastic matches in that run okay um i gotta bring up um i, I don't this is gonna lead into a question so okay. uh, this is one of my favorite posts in the history of cage side seats uh, i thought it was yours but it was written by kane and it was the other members of retribution need names too <laughs> And we had a lot of fun with retribution, dude. God retribution. Well, it's, it's perfect. It's ripe for comedy, but um, I'll be honest with you. I was pretty stoned when I read this the first time (laughs) and I nearly as the right way to do it. I will say, I don't want to take anything away from Kane because he's phenomenal. Um, He's a guy we've been trying to get him on full time for a while. He's still just a contractor, but that was a bit of a group effort. Those are not all his names. Okay. But, dude, when, I think when I got down to number nine, Splode, uh, <laughs> I nearly choked to death. And then, dude, okay, so, I mean, these names, like Spike, Hubcap, Stabs, Shard, F-Jar, <laughs> Chapstick. Um, and then we keep going. The Sewer, number 16, Bone Skull, number 17, Bike Rack. Um, which, by the way, is what I called uh, Slapjack. My wife and I, we used to dunk on Retribution all the time. She's like, who's fighting? I'm like, oh, you know, it's uh, Jazz and Coat Hook. Um, and then the the one that destroyed me just for good, number 19, Mojo Raleigh. <laughs> and then number 20, Polk High. Like, <laughs> so that that this is my all-time favorite. Uh, cage side seats and if i need a little ray of sunshine in my day i will call that up and just read these names again 
Um, That's awesome. I'm curious if you have uh, a favorite post that you've done. I mean, this one's a little bit on the snarkier side, but I think it's all in good fun because those names were ridiculous. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, they earned every inch of this. But yep. do, do you have ones that stand out for you? Uh, the, I don't know if I have one. I know one of my favorite sort of running gags that I do is I, um, I, just, I write about John Cena's, like, clothes and hair a lot. Um, <laughs> there's one I wrote. There's one that it, it's a while back, but I, I think it's called We Need to Talk About John Cena's Suit Game. It was <laughs> while he was going on talk shows everywhere and just in these giant, ill-fitting suits. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that, so that and I did. I know when he was sort of trying to work on his coat, and this is a little snarky, but I feel like Cena is the kind of guy who would appreciate it too. Yeah, he was trying to figure out how to deal with the comb over, and like he was, the hat was coming off, and he was growing it out for the movies, but it wasn't there yet. Yeah, he had a I bit of a, a he had like a Ted Danson monkey butt back here. Like, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I did a bunch of, there was a series I did where like John Cena's back and his hair looks fabulous kind of posts that I, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed. So we've, that's the thing that we try to do it at the site. I don't know if you were around for the era when Braun Strowman was first coming out. Oh, geez. Gino had a gag where he would come up with different, you know, big, strong, McFart bad. Or, I mean, just, and it was, I don't know. I think we did, I think somebody did a post of all the different names that he had called. Oh. I think it was a fan post. <laughs> If you ever find that one, it's got some gems too. It's not quite as good as King's Retribution Love, but dude, I we used to do that around this house too. I mean, the obvious one was Brown Snowman. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, but I like for whatever reason in my head, I settled on Blog Stoveman. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and at one point I called him Brick Sluffman. I, you know, like <laughs> the name is just so. I, mean, weird. I think. That's part of, I mean, that's part of the fun of being a wrestling fan. And it's also part of how you avoid the burnout of being a wrestling fan. Is this is just goofy stuff nine times that. I mean, yes, yes, it can get very deadly serious and dramatic, but it's also just silly sometimes. It's fun, you just got to like embrace that and run, and run with it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then tell me which WrestleMania match you're looking forward to most. Oh, um,. I, you know, there's a few of them for different reasons. I mean, I think Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville could be a blast. It's probably not the one I'm looking forward to the most, but I really enjoy what Sami's... I mean, he, that's a guy who's, like, taken a weird thing and just run with it and made it a lot of fun. So more for Zayn than for Knoxville. I probably... Um, I would say probably the Becky Lynch-Bianca Belair match. I'm curious mm -hmm. to see what they can do with, with actual time. And I, that's one where I kind of think they are going to tell the right story and put the baby face over after screwing her last year at SummerSlam. I'm excited to see Roman and Brock too, though. I mean, dude, I can't get excited for Roman and Brock. I it's, really, it's been too many times. Um, That's true. To where we're we're leading it's... up to WrestleMania and it's Roman versus Brock again, and I'm going. I, I remember thinking I cannot wait till they tell a different story, and they still haven't done it. So. I, I'm enjoying Babyface Brock. I guess that's the, no, that's, that's fun. Yeah, I'll give sort of, that. That's sort of what's turned it for me. But I, the match itself, I mean, it's you know, it's the it's the big beefy men slapping meat, big meat <laughs> joke. But um, meaty thighs, pal. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I would probably say, I mean, probably my number one would probably be uh, would be Lynch and Belair. I guess. All right. Um, I think I'm you? looking forward to Edge AJ. Really, so I'm not sold on this Edge turn that's no i'm not either but but I, I i'm looking forward to the match quality I'm, i'll put it that way there you go so i would yes that's your yeah i sort of i i had sort of sloughed that off to the side because i'm not crazy about the edge blue light heel turn 
but yeah, and, I mean, I, I was rooting for that match. I just wanted them to go up and like shake hands and say like, let's see who's the better man. That's all the build I wanted for that because the, the match itself should kick ass. Yeah, yeah it, it should be great. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, we got WrestleMania coming up. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they find Cage Side Seats? Anything you want to plug, plug it now. Just cagesideseats.com. That's my main thing. I have a Twitter, but if you follow me, you'll be very disappointed with how infrequently I tweet. So, But it's at S1Rude if, if you want to. But mostly just find me at cagesideseats.com. Good stuff there from me and others. Fantastic. I will put a link to that in the companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us. You can also find it in the show notes. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Audible, wherever you get your pods, I'm pretty much there. So, Sean Reuter, you know, it's funny. You you read someone for long enough. You hope they're cool like they're writing. And this has been an absolute delight. So I wish you nothing but continued success. And thanks for all the great content. Thank, thank you. Like I said, it's, it's nice to be appreciated. So it doesn't always happen on the Internet. So thank you for that, John. You bet. In the immortal words, legendary manager from WWF, Slick, turn out the lights. The party's over. Sean Ritter, what a guest. Episode 323 comes to a close. He's from Cage Side Seats. He gave you the link there. If you're a wrestling fan at all, I think you'll find something you like there. I love it. I go there multiple times a day. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. I do all manner of PR. I also am a podcast producer. In addition to this show, I produce six others. I can produce one for you. Whatever you need, I'm full service. Podcasting is my game. Hit me up, John, J-O-N, at deftcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're running a campaign, doing some sort of email marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, basically, if you need to get your message in front of people, 4Degrees can help you do that in the places where the people are with a message that's highly effective. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm available on podcatchers everywhere. No matter what you're listening on, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to your listening device if you have the ability to rate and review. I would love you for that. Thank you very much. You are the coolest. I'm out of here for this week and next week. Going on vacation with the fam. Taking some much needed time off. I hope wherever you are, you are happy, you are healthy, you are taking care of yourself. Thank you for letting me be a part of your life. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.